Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces. I've got a feeling that that uh, welcome back intro, the wuh bit, gets longer each time I do it. I can't help it. As a fan of uh, what was WWF, World Wrestling World Wrestling Federation, which now it's called something else, I think. Uh, it's been a while uh, since I've watched any of that wrestling. Uh, used to be a fan of Bret the Hitman Hart, a uh, big fan of The Ultimate Warrior and The Undertaker. I've clearly digressed. But anyway, that's where I get it from. The um, And in the blue corner. I, you know, that kind of... Anyway, doesn't matter. Moving on. Uh, hope you're all doing well wherever you are in podcast or YouTube land, wherever you are on every corner of the globe, whether you're in the red corner or the blue corner. I've had two coffees this morning already. Okay, moving on. Today, we are chatting with Lauren Parker, who I feel like I've spent a heck of a load of time with uh, recently. I was with her up at the... National Cycling Championships in Ballarat, which is about two hours from my front door. Well, I mean, it's probably about an hour and 45, but you have to stop for coffee on the on the way, right? Um, although if it's taking 15 minutes to get a coffee, they need to work on it. That takes way too long. But clearly, I digress. Again, that feels like that's the theme of this introduction. But it was really insightful um, spending that time with Lauren and her mate Brad as they prepared for both the para time trial and the para road race, all in an attempt for Lauren to be able to qualify for the Australian team in both of those events. And also uh, she's gunning for gold in the para triathlon too. So I had the opportunity to spend some time uh, with her. Uh, but obviously for me, it's not just about seeing her race and attempt the qualification, but just going behind the scenes and seeing how things get done. Anything from uh, prepping her chair, her racing chair to just that time spent before and after, uh, the the quiet time that she likes to spend by herself before they get into race ready mode um, was just really interesting. But anyway, it was I, I think it helped with this podcast as well because um, Lauren and I have known each other for quite a few years but haven't spent much quality time together. Uh, so it was a really good opportunity to do that and then obviously um, that built our relationship to then be able to have a chat today uh, on the podcast as well, which uh, in my opinion really, really helps um, our guests to feel comfortable and open with the podcast. And that's that's what this platform's all about is having those chats that you don't uh, ordinarily get to have, particularly just at events. So anyway, let's get to it. Uh, my chat with Lauren Parker. Uh, welcome to the po- I feel like I feel like I've spent way too much time with this uh, athlete in the past week. Uh, I've been all up in her grill uh, at the Road Nationals, but please welcome to the podcast Lauren Parker. Thanks for having me on here, Steph. <laughs> really looking forward to a chat. Another one. Well, I've been with you all yeah. week, but you know. <laughs> the difference this time, though, is that we don't have Brad. Uh, loitering around, annoying yeah. you, uh, and yeah, stirring up shit. So it's yeah. it's just you. Yeah, lucky because he was almost going to come and be here in the background. I'm like, 
Oh no, you just made me laugh the whole time. Like, yeah, he always tries to make me laugh when I'm trying to be serious. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, laughing is a okay on this podcast as well, and it will now be my goal to attempt to make you laugh. Alrighty, <laughs> I'm sure you can. <laughs> I'll do my best. So for those of you who don't know Lauren Parker, um, Lauren Parker was an able-bodied professional triathlete. Now, you correct me if I get any of the terminology wrong or I guess any of the timeline wrong, uh, but that's where I first met you. I actually distinctly remember you in Busso, and I've got a photo of you, and you're wearing, I think you had pink, pink and yellow and white on your kit. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was this pre-accident as yes. an able-bodied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, I remember the photo. Um, yeah. it's, isn't it weird? Like I know I get to know people from their racing kits and cycling yeah. kits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember you at Busso as well. You're on the motor- motorbike next to me. Cause I was, um, I let out the, out of the water and I didn't hold that lead for very long, but still, um, <laughs> I'll claim it. Own but, it. um, Own it. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I remember that photo. I'll see if I can hunt it down as well. We'll, uh, we'll try and uh, show people what I'm actually talking about, but that, um, I think I must work better with um, like visuals, like remembering things. I have a real, I guess, a visual memory or what have you. But anyway, that I think that's the first time I actually kind of met you with me on a motorbike and you on a on a push bike at the uh, at the front of the race in yeah. Busso. Um, and you know, you're on a great career trajectory in terms of being an able-bodied professional triathlete. Uh, and sorry, we've dived straight into this. Um, but unfortunately, in 2017, so almost four years ago now, almost, right? yep. yeah, 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 April 18th, um, four years, yeah, almost four years ago. Yeah, wow. Uh, you're involved in an accident where your not one but two tires blew out on your bike, uh, and as a result of the accident, you ended up as a paraplegic. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So yep. that's. Um, and as we chat more, this is this is obviously not going to be the defining part of your story. This is just this, the introductory to how I how I know you through the world of triathlon. Uh, and since then, you have been um, crushing it in the para triathlon game. Um, and most recently, last week, uh, you were attempting to qualify for the Paralympics, not only in triathlon, but you went to the cycling road nats and wanted to qualify for the TT and the road race in the hand cycle division. <sighs> Have I summed that up okay so far? Yeah, that's um, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely the journey I've been on. Yes. So, can we go back to you? I, I guess, uh, and we don't we don't talk a whole lot about triathlon on this podcast because we want to get to know you as the person a lot more. Uh, but I feel like that's going to come as a result of talking about a few different pathways that you've been on. But back in the day, uh, before your accident, what what were your goals in in the world of um, elite sport? Yeah, well, I grew up as a swimmer, so from a very young age, I was involved in swimming and surf lifesaving. I can competed in both, but um, my goals were all all in swimming, and I wanted to make you know the Olympics for swimming. That was my my dream throughout my whole younger younger life, and um, 
I would swim like 16 kilometers a day just training to try and be the best that I could be and um, I qualified for the Olympic trials at age 14 but after that I got sick with chronic fatigue and I was out for a year Um, and I tried to get back in swimming but just the passion wasn't there anymore Um, so my goals changed and I thought you know I I found out about triathlon I did a, a triathlon with my school and that's where the spark um, came to me. Like I, I just loved it. I um, that's where I really wanted to get involved in triathlon. And you know, I moved straight into triathlon pretty quickly from um, being a swimmer my whole life. And uh, it happened super fast. I was I competed in my first triathlon in my hometown of Newcastle, and uh, I look back at the photos now and think oh what was I thinking um what was that like I was wearing I was just wearing normal joggers and you know I had this old old little bike and um but I just like I just had fun and uh but I was spotted by an elite triathlon coach at at that event and he wanted to coach me because he thought that you know I I had some potential obviously seeing me swim and stuff like that and um I yes started with him and like within a year I got my pro license in short distance triathlon and I found myself traveling around the world a little bit with that so um I love how understated you were like oh yeah I was talent scouted and traveled the globe (laughs) (laughs) sorry carry on um yeah so fast forward a little bit um well I got I had so many injuries from when I first started in the sport, I've um, up until you know before my accident and from when I first started, I had eight stress fractures, five in my shins and three in my femur. So each one of those was a battle in itself, trying to get over over each injury and you know focus on my training. And I, I, I my run was always um, my weakest point, I guess, because I never had a full run prep. Um, with every triathlon that I did. Uh, so I'm fast forward a little bit. I did my first half Ironman distance at 70, 70.3 and um, I, again, fell in love with that distance straight away because I'm more of an endurance endurance athlete and I just love the challenge. And then I, I decided to... Um, just take my run, my run training. Um, uh, how do I explain? Um, so mm-hmm. I, I just I tried to take control of my own run training um, and not have a coach just for running. And I decided to just take it slow and just um, I was running like four k's a session to start with, and I just wanted to increase it slowly. So I started not getting as injured as when I first started triathlon. So that's when I was in the Ironman 70.3 distance. I won my first race, I think it was at 70.3 Port Macquarie. That was when I, I won my first age group race. And in 2014, I did my first Ironman and, again, fell in love with the sport even more. Um, that's where my passion is now um, is with Ironman distance. I did my first one at Port Macquarie Ironman and I won that event. And uh, I qualified for the World Championships at Kona. Um, 
Sorry, so this, this is, is a very this long story. No, no, this is what we're here for. We've got all the time in the world. So, sorry, this is when you're in the category 25 to 29? Yeah. 18 to 20, yeah. Okay. 25 to 29. And uh, so I'd been through eight stress fractures already. Um, And then I was training for Kona in 2014. And six weeks out, I ran, I was on a training ride and it was, one morning it was like 4 30 in the morning it was dark and I ran over a dead kangaroo on the side of the road and I broke my elbow so this is six weeks out from Kona and oh yeah how Australian so, is that you ran over I know. a dead kangaroo <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I'm hopeless anyway um so I broke my elbow and um but I still had Kona in six weeks' time. I'm not going to pull out of um, one of the most iconic, you know, triathlons in the world. So mm. I decided to strap my arm up to my body and swim with one arm. And then I was riding. I did my whole, the next six weeks, riding on a trainer and running on a treadmill with my arm strapped to me. And then I got to the race, obviously not with a perfect prep by all means, but I uh, got 10th. Uh, in my age group in 2014. So then fast forward to 2015, I uh, qualified for Kona again in 2015. And this time I had a better prep, but not, I never, in my whole time of doing triathlon, I've never had a full run prep uh, just because of injuries. And, um, but I knew, I I knew in the back of my mind and just from how I, I know I could, run that if I had a good run prep my run would be really strong because I just can just keep going all day at the one pace kind of thing and um but I got to 2015 Kona and I almost put a, a, a perfect race together but I um I was leading the race pretty much the whole day until like the last I don't know six kilometers and one of uh one of the other girls just zoomed past me and I yeah, certainly couldn't keep up. But I got second at Kona in 2015 in my age group um, wow. with not a full run prep again. Um, and then straight after that in for 2016, I turned professional in the Ironman distance. Uh, and, you know, that I had my goal was all for Ironman. I had so much passion for it and I just loved Kona. That's where, you know, you know, well, I just wanted to become world champ basically and, you know, um, I had that belief that I could one day do that and can I, I raced- Can I ask, sorry, can I just ask at that point, you're obviously, and the way you speak, you're obviously a massive triathlon fan yourself. You're not just in it, you're a fan. At that point, do you remember who your idols were, who you looked up to, who, who you wanted to be like? Yeah, Chrissy Wellington. Yeah, of course. She was uh, <laughs> one of my big idols. And um, actually, it was moving um, away from that a little bit. When I had my accident, I was in hospital and I was going through my voice mail messages and I had a missed call from a number I didn't know. Anyway, I listened to the message and the girl on the other end said, oh, hi, I'm Chrissy Wellington. I heard about your accident and I had to I had to replay it again because of my, I didn't think I heard correctly I'm like did I hear this correctly is Chrissy Wellington like called me and well found my number and 
decided to call me anyway it was so I'm like I missed a call no I need to ring it back anyway I rang it back and it was like so surreal like that my idol had phoned me up in hospital just you know say she's thinking of me heard about my accident so um yeah that was a, a great moment um and 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 it, a phone call like yeah. it wasn't just a a tweet or an Instagram no, message. It was a phone call. Yeah, that's that's was so pretty good. special. Yeah, 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 very special. Um, so back to yeah, I turned pro in twenty sixteen. I um completed some races. Um, I think I did uh, Ironman Switzerland. Um, mm-hmm. as a pro, but. You know, I, w- I would train for the last four years of doing Ironman before my accident. I would live and train in Mallorca in Spain mm-hmm. uh, just because it was, I hated, well, I hated winter in Australia. So every winter time I'd go to Mallorca for, and just chase the summer every year. And it was the greatest place to train, you know, the lots of mountains for climbing on the bike and, you know, swim training in the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. You couldn't ask for anything better than that. Um, So that's my second home. But it was quite easy to go to races from Mallorca, like races in Europe. Um, But then my my whole goal for that whole 2016 period was being like fully prepared and having the best preparation for Port Macquarie Ironman in 2017 because I'd never in my whole career – raced an Ironman or triathlon mm-hmm. where I'd been fully prepared and had a, a full run prep. Um, and for this preparation for Port Macquarie, I really, um, for that whole 2016 period, I took it slow for running and slowly built up. And um, I got to the point where I was doing, you know, speed in my sessions, which um, I'd never been able to do because I'd always, my legs would always break down with injuries. But I got some good volume in. I had um, it ended up being the best preparation I'd ever had, and I was, you know, on my way to uh, racing an Ironman with, um, a, a, you know, um, a full preparation and belief that I'd had the perfect preparation and I was ready to uh, really show to myself what I could do um, mm. in an Ironman. Um, so I was obviously training in 2017 and two weeks out from Port Macquarie, I had my accident and I think back now wishing that, you know, I wish it happened two weeks after Port Macquarie mm-hmm. so that I would know what I could actually do when I was fully prepared in for an Ironman race. Um, but that obviously didn't happen. So I was, had my accident. I was, it was a Tuesday morning. Um, I'd been in Sydney the weekend before, actually, and um, I was there with my mum. It was a long weekend, Easter long weekend in April, and I was singing to myself and I was talking to my mum, maybe we should just stay another night, and this was on the Monday. And I'm like, no, nah, I can't. I've got to get back to training. Um, I've got a, a hard ride session the next day. So, I'm, so we decided not to stay in Sydney and come home. Anyway, that next morning is when I had my accident and it was a, a perfect day. Um, it was my last, going to be my last hard training ride before tapering down for Port Macquarie. 
and I was on my last two-minute effort of the ride. I was running. I was training with my best friend Brad Fernley. Um, he was right right beside me. Um, we were doing the last two-minute effort um, of the the session before going back to where our cars were parked and pretty much heading off to Port Macquarie. But both my tyres burst and I went flying into a guardrail at 45k an hour. Uh, and that changed everything in a split second. Um, I broke my shoulder, broken ribs, punctured lungs, broken pelvis, broken back, and all that can be repairable, but it was a spinal cord that couldn't be repaired and that left me instantly paralyzed from the waist down. And the cause of the accident was actually, you know, the, um, the rubber that goes across the road that counts the cars? Um, that had been taken out, like that rubber, the thin yeah, 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 like the rubber. it's like a tube. Type yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. That had been taken out, but they left the two screws in the road that's supposed to hold it down. They left those in the road sticking out, so they were loose. So as I rode over them, both my tires punctured straight away. So I had, I had no control. I was on the the aero bars, and um, I just, it just. I just went straight into the guardrail and when I went, when we went after my accident and after um, healing and everything, I went back to the accident site and the guardrail was only there for a hundred meters Every, everywhere oh else God. along the, the whole highway. There was no guardrail. So if I had, of, um, if the guardrail wasn't there, I would have just rolled in the grass and, you know, I'd be fine. I'd probably have a broken arm and still be like, oh, my race is ruined and everything like that. It's all about perspective, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah, that obviously didn't happen. And, um, yeah, my life changed in a split second and I didn't know it at the time, but I thought I would just be going to hospital. They'd fix me and I'd be walking out, but that wasn't the case. I went straight into surgery to get my spine fused together uh, and, that very same day I was told that I would never walk again for the rest of my life and those are the most devastating news that you know anyone could hear especially at um, 28, 28 years old and being so active and an athlete like I thought my life was over I thought that I had nothing to live for and that was just on that day and um, it's funny thinking about it now um that that first night in the hospital bed after being becoming paralyzed from the waist it felt like I was trapped like I couldn't move at all and if I wanted to get up I couldn't like and I was in so much pain not just from the surgery but my accident left me with really bad nerve pain from uh, my waist down to my feet and that sounds weird because I can't feel my legs but it's all the nerves were fully damaged so everywhere through my body where it was par paralysed I was just in pain and that pain felt like and feels like to this day and I've still got it and it, it's gotten worse over the last four years as well but that pain feels like I'm being stabbed with needles everywhere or like my whole body is on fire literally like it's absolute torture and I've had like five spinal surgeries since that day to try and reduce the pain but 
nothing nothing works it's there's no cure for it um i've tried all the medications that are available and nothing nothing works for my pain because i've got it so severe so yeah right now i'm in absolute torture from my my chest down to my feet and um it's a pain that i thought never existed before my accident um it's just the worst and i think that's the hot the the worst part about being in a wheelchair and not being able to walk is is the pain i'd rather the pain go than ever walk again well i didn't realize it was still that intense so yep. even you sitting here talking to me right now you're in pain yep 24 7 it doesn't go away and um I think that's the hardest part because people look at me and, you know, I've got a smile on my face. I'm mm. achieving all that I'm achieving um, and people think that it's all well and good. I've overcome such adversity of not being able to walk, but it's the thing that's the pain that people don't see um, and it's really hard like every day. Um, it's hard mentally, I guess, to put a front on and and to keep smiling and everything but when I come home it's like um I can not have to try and be happy if if that makes sense um because mm. of the pain it's just terrible and yeah. yeah so yeah so that very first night I thought my my life was over I wouldn't be able to get back to my sport ever again um everything was going through my my mind and for the next six months after that I was in hospital and rehab um, basically learning how to deal with being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life and how to live a new life um, and yeah it was a long journey long hard journey and I'm still on the mm. still hard every single day mm. when you I've got a lot of questions, which that's what a podcast is for, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you say, and I absolutely understand it, that you put a front on when you're out in public and then you get home and you, you don't want to put that front on and you're in pain and um, it's it, it's unrelenting, what, what makes you feel like you have to put a front on? Is it to make other people feel comfortable about your situation or is it what makes you say that I guess um people don't really understand the pain and you know if sure. I was looked unhappy all the time that wouldn't be very good I guess from um being out in public and um it's really hard to explain that one um because I can tell so many people about the pain but they just don't understand and I wouldn't if someone was telling if I was able-bodied and someone was telling me because I never thought this pain existed it, it's just um I feel like that I should um be out in public and be happy all the time because people can't see the pain if that makes sense mm. um yeah no it does um it makes sense, but I think in the same breath, like you say, I will never understand it. Um, I can empathise, but I don't – I will never fully understand. Um, yeah. Oh, 
set the yeah, pace. Yeah, that's a doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, how's that for for timing as well? Yeah, <laughs> getting quite deep now, but let's let the doorbell ring. <laughs> we we need to tell everyone that we interview that they need to put a sign up at their front door as well, like d- yeah. recording. Do yeah. not do not disturb. Yeah. Um. So. Since the accident, um, and obviously you've had to do a lot of rehabbing, and that is probably going to continue for a long, a long time. How much work have you had to put into working on the mental side of things? And I don't mean the mental side of things of being focused on getting to the Olympics or Paralympics. I mean the mental side of, I, I guess. Um, focusing on other things so that the pain isn't always at the forefront of your mind or the challenges of get get the picture (laughs) what do you want do you want to yell at them or go out to them um if you need to go we can press pause no it's all good i should just um go um was i saying so the yeah, and, and even the mental side of what we were just talking about before in terms of how you approach um, public life as a, as opposed to how you deal with things uh, at home and I assume being a lot more vulnerable in front of your best mate Brad and, fa- and family members. How much, how much work have you have to put into the mental side of things? Yeah, so much but at the same time uh, I – got straight back into training so quickly mm. that I've, I've never really dealt with um you know what's happened to me like fully I guess because I've been so focused mm. on my sport um and I guess I try to block it out a little bit because uh, I don't want to deal with it maybe um but it it has been a huge challenge um mentally some days like I think that you know I still have nothing to live for like I think about the future too much and being in a chair not um not finding um not having getting married and having kids for example um I always think of that and I think that you know no one would no one would want me because I'm in a chair like everything runs through your mind when you've had such a life-changing uh, accident um and but having my best friend friend brad with me through all those times has been a lifesaver and um also having my sport has been a lifesaver after my accident because if i didn't have that to go back to i i i can um honestly say i probably wouldn't be here today mm. after my accident um so that was definitely a lifesaver but just dealing with the pain every single day, I've constantly got to be busy doing something to take my mm. mind off the pain, even though it's still fully there. Uh, I just have to keep busy. And sometimes even that I wish I didn't have to do because after training I just want to come home and just relax, but I can't because I'm always in pain. When I go to bed every night I'm in pain and sometimes I'm screaming um, and then I wake up still in pain. like. I used to think um, pain was temporary. You know, you think of that when you're in training, like you've got a 20-minute hard effort, but it's temporary. You know that in 20 minutes it's 
the pain's gonna isn't gonna be there but for me the pain is there every second of every day and it's not going away not until there's a cure um and I've always said and I'm just speaking honestly that you know I can't live with this pain for the rest of my life uh so yeah that's um yeah it's, re- it's really hard that's the hardest thing to live with is the pain and and then on the other on the other hand dealing with not ever walking again you know um, so I try and keep my mind busy on and focused on training so that I don't have to sometimes deal with those thoughts. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'll be completely honest with you. I, I don't know how to respond to that because what, what can I say? I'm so sorry that this is still happening. Um, but sorry doesn't help you. How how do you how do you like people to treat you? Um, just normal, just like a mm. just um, like I've had people come up to me, um, feeling nervous to say hello to me, or they don't know what to say. But I just want people to treat me normal, like I. You know, like I was an able-bodied athlete or person, um, like I'm no different, like who I am. But, um, yeah, if that, if you know what I mean, um, yeah, I just want them to treat me like a normal person. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. I don't mind talking about anything. Like, um, people don't have to be nervous to say hello or to. to know to ask the right questions because any questions fine like yeah, yeah. you you actually um uh and I don't want this to sound offensive either but you're a lot more vulnerable and open than I was anticipating I I, yeah. I, I knew you'd be comfortable talking to me but I didn't realize how really vulnerable and open you would be with me and I and I appreciate that uh and I hope that on some level it helps to talk things through out loud I hope sure. yeah and um, you know it's life's all about perspective like um before my accident I had I was for pretty much my well since I was 16 I was dealing with like eating disorders and uh, depression and I had my own battles with mental health. Um, but, you know, I think back now think and think what was I doing? I had everything to be happy about, you know. Um, I was living my life, training for the sport that I loved. Um, but it, it's only when something, you know, worse happens or, you know, obviously my accident that you really um see the perspective and um if i like if tomorrow i started walking again um i would live so differently so Mm -hmm. differently um i'd just be grateful for so many more things for opportunities that i that i have like i I had i had my accident and um like i would read like on social media that um 
like people complaining about little things or um, like I'd go to the coffee shop and someone would complain about their, you know, their coffee taking too long to be made or they're going to be late for work, like all those little things. I'm like, you don't understand, you don't, you don't get it. <laughs> you yeah. don't, um, yeah, it's all about perspective, everything in life. Yeah. And, and those kind of stories, do they still make you angry? Oh, they don't make me angry. That was just like, um, I, I just thought to myself, you know, people yeah. uh, take things for granted. Mm. And I know if I had my time over, I would definitely try not to take things for granted because, I mean, I was probably the same. I'd complain about little things. Mm. Oh, it's raining today. I can't, you know, I've got to ride five hours on a trainer. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. It's uh, interesting. <laughs> Funny that you choose uh, raining as an example. Um, one of the and this is a, a tangent, but that's that's what this is all about. Um, I remember my best mate. She's got three kids, and um, you know when it's raining, you you tend to say to kids, "Oh, it's crappy weather outside." Or if you're a good parent, you probably don't swear in front of your child, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, you know, it's crappy weather outside. It's a crappy day, or or you know something like that. But my best mate would always say, "No, no, no. It's not. It's not a crappy day. It's raining, which means the trees can grow and the flowers grow and all this kind of stuff." And that that message is really stuck with me, and it sort of grounds me when I do get worked up about, you know, shitty weather or this or that. And it's like, well, hang on, perspective and reasons for things. And and I know that's very different to your situation, but just that popped into my head when you talked about, you know, the rainy days. Um, Yeah. And like you say, a bunch of triathletes complaining that they can't go outside for a five-hour bike ride and they have to do it inside in their beautiful house in front of the Mm -hmm. TV and watch Netflix. Is life that bad? Yeah, super interesting. This is why we do what we do here at Wits Up. It's to tell empowering and inspiring stories. It's what drives me. Uh, It's what drove me to launch Wits Up a decade ago. So if you want to see Wits Up continue telling these kind of narratives, then please consider becoming a Wits Up Patreon member. Just click the link in the description of this episode or simply go to patreon.com slash Wits Up. I want to go back because you did sort of touch on this, uh, that you essentially got stuck back into your training um, as a paratriathlete very quickly because it was almost a uh, and again, correct me if I'm using the wrong terms or if it, if I'm not quite picking up what you're saying, but it was almost an escape for you, probably physically and mentally and emotionally. Um, I, it was, it was something that I noticed with you, um, very early on and it was not from a judgmental place, but I did think, wow, she's just, she's dove straight back into it, um, I do wonder how you're managing it um, because obviously life-altering situation. Um, do you remember those early days uh, in terms of, um, I guess, the stages of grief, you know, yeah. being angry, um, you know, at what point did you accept that you weren't going to walk again and stop fighting that side of the things um, and, 
you know, were more comfortable in being a para triathlete, not an able-bodied triathlete. Do you remember back back then? Yeah, um, I guess I probably still haven't even accepted it. I've sort of, I sort of, mm. I got straight back into training and blocked everything else out, so I didn't have to deal with it. Um, um. I'll go back to when I was in, re- in rehab and mm-hmm. I, I de- well, I definitely did find when I found out about paratriathlon, I was, I definitely was excited that I could get back to the sport that I once loved all the sport that ruined my life. You could see it yeah. both ways, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was an escape, I guess, when I first started, but I'll go back to rehab and I was, um, this one day I was really looking forward to getting into the pool for the very first time. Uh, and it was only a 15 meter rehab pool. And I thought that, you know, yes, I can actually get in the pool and do something that, that I loved. I mean, I grew up as a swimmer. I trained 20 years to swim fast and 16 Ks a day in the pool. Uh, Mm. so I thought that I'd get in and be able to swim and I got in the water and the physio gave me the noodle and I soon chucked that away because there's no way I'm holding onto a noodle. Um, <laughs> I put my cap and goggles on and I said to Brad, yes, I'm going to swim. I'm, um, let's see what I can do. And I pushed off the wall with my arm and basically I couldn't put two strokes together. My whole body was sinking and I tried again putting one stroke over and the other stroke and it, it just didn't happen and I um, paddled over to the the end of the pool and that's the moment where um, that's the defining moment is this day and what I had to decide right then and there and other than it being the second most devastating day of my life since my accident because not only had I lost my legs but I also lost my swimming ability that I trained mm. so hard for mm. uh, so Brad walked to the end of the pool um, to see me and basically he said I had two options one option was to go get out of the water go straight back to the hospital room shut the doors and don't do anything with my life or stay in the water and continue to try to swim and not give up and it was really hard, but I chose that second option to stay in the, the pool and not give up. And by the end of the, the hour rehab session, I swam three laps of the rehab pool. wasn't far, but it was just the choice that I made right then and there to not give up and to show myself that it was possible. Mm. Yes, I couldn't swim properly, but I... It was just getting through it mentally that I got through three laps and this was the start of, and I really showed to myself that, you know, with the belief in yourself that anything is possible. Um, so I got out of the pool that day and found out about paratriathlon and from there that's when it all started. Uh, yeah, the crazy life of being a paratriathlete. Um, and I guess going back to your question, I'm and whether I'm comfortable being a paratriathlete. Um, obviously, I'd rather be 
successful as an able-bodied athlete and I don't think that I am comfortable with being a para-triathlete even though I'm achieving what I'm achieving which is great like I put you know to have the goals and um that I have in the sport and to have the success that I've had so quickly I'm not comfortable I guess after living 28 years of an able body being an able-bodied athlete I'm still not comfortable of being classed as a uh, a para-athlete um Mm. because yeah it's it's hard to explain but I worked so hard to try and be a successful able-bodied athlete that it's really hard to see myself like I see myself now as like I'm broken like my body doesn't work but I'm doing everything I can to have goals and everything I can to achieve those goals and I I guess that's something I I am grateful for because it could have been so much worse like my accident um, I could have had a worse injury and not be able to get back into my sport so again it comes back to perspective and that's where I try to choose to focus my thoughts um, and look at the positives rather than the negatives in life um, that you know I am grateful that I can still do sport and be fit and have goals and have triathlon be you know a Paralympic sport and you know to have the opportunities mm. that I've had I'm so grateful for I, I guess I'm I've just got in my mind that I just need to move on with my life and do the best that I can for as long as I can. Mm. And obviously easier said than done, moving on with your life. It is, yep, easier said than done. But uh, I got got the inspiration for triathlon back again through Bob Babbitt. um, Oh, yeah, yeah. Through the Challenged Athletes Foundation. He's the most amazing man, what he's done in the sport and with the Challenged Athletes Foundation. He um, got me on his radio um, station in back in rehab and basically right there on the phone he said, this is where it starts at Ch- the Challenged Athletes Foundation triathlon event, which was going to be in October of that year. I was still in rehab. So mm. he invited me to this triathlon event and I asked the rehab centre if I could have just five days away uh, to go over there um, to be part of this great event and to come back. And they basically said, no, I could only have three days. Well, I can't get there and back in three days. So I actually signed myself out right then, jumped on a plane um, and, yeah, went over to um, the amazing event that, you know, it really opened my eyes. I thought that I would, you know, turn up and tell people my story or what happened about my accident. But from what I saw, I saw 500 other people and athletes that were worse off than me, had worse um, accidents than me, but they were all here for this weekend. And there was one thing that I saw that everyone had a smile on their face, yet they'd been through so much um there were there was people there that had their legs blown off at war like there was little kids running around without any arms and legs just on this 
the stumps. Like it re- really was um, eye-opening and that's where I thought, you know, if these beautiful people can participate in this triathlon this weekend, then and if they can be happy, then so can I. You know, I can get back to my sport. I can, I can be happy again, and that's where my I got in, so inspired, and I returned home and got. That's when I got straight into my triathlon training. Mm. Um. So yeah, and that was the best decision that I ever made was signing myself out of rehab because it was so negative in there. Like I had, I had a physio tell me that, um. I need to get used to living the rest of my life in a wheelchair because I'll never be an athlete again. Like I was, I was told oh. that in rehab. So yeah, I really, I, I proved them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a, it's so interesting that to that, to that physio, it was probably very much a throwaway line uh, yeah. to you. That was a, not just a game changer, a life-changing comment for you. It, it, it sure was. And, well, at the time I, I kind of believed it because at the time I, mm. you know, I was in a wheelchair and I didn't know that I could get back into the sport that I loved and mm. um, I thought my life was over and um, so I kind of believed it but then, yeah, everything changed when I found out that I could get back into sport and there was these great opportunities that lie ahead that I could set goals again and achieve mm. um, achieve goals in, 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 in the sport again. So yeah. that's what I chose to focus on. See, even just that message for me, that that's, that's why we do what we do, um, whether it be highlighting women in sport it's it's to showcase what what you can achieve, um, and then pe- people who can see that. And it's that that saying of if you can't see it, you can't be it. And that was similar with you. You you didn't know what was what you could potentially be capable of. In fact, you were actually told that you couldn't be what in your heart you wanted you wanted to be. Um, until until you were you were shown it um and obviously that's not just sport that's you know the life as well um oh gosh um again and you said that it said this it's this it's a sport that um broke you but also saved you um yeah. i wonder what the difference would have been um prior uh like if you I wonder if you would have found para triathlon after the accident if you didn't do triathlon before the accident and odds odds are possibly not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, if I didn't sort of if I wasn't involved in triathlon before and but you know, I if I wasn't involved in triathlon before I would still be walking. <laughs> yeah. Just on that as well. Very early on when we started the chat, you, you mentioned a couple of things that um, it, it, it was very much surrounded by the the, the what-ifs. Um, you said that if you had a stayed, what if you stayed in Sydney? You wouldn't have been on that ride. Uh, what if um, the council or whoever weren't counting cars that day? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of what-ifs. 
Do you still think what ifs or is that a thing of the past for you thinking that way? Uh, I try not to think about the what ifs anymore. Like um, I rode up that same highway for the 10 years or the whole of my triathlon training every weekend through the week. Like I'd ride past my accident spot every, you know, so much, so often. And I think about, you know, what if I was just one millimetre to the left, I would have missed Mm. these screws or, um, but I really try not to dwell on that um, because there's nothing I can do about it. Um, Mm. It's happened. And I think that I, like, I believe that everything happens for a reason and you might think that, you know, that's, um, I guess what's happened to me, like why would I say that? But I think that, you know, if I had my accident for a reason that I really want to make the most of what I can do for others. And mm. I've found that, you know, I, from my story, I really want to inspire as many people as I can, you know, of all walks of life, not just mm. kids or people with disabilities, but, you know, everyone goes through adversity and I th- I think that if I've had my accident for a reason that that's the reason that I that I was here for is to um, make a difference to other people's lives through my story and adversity and overcoming um, letting people know that um, if you believe in yourself that anything is possible yeah yeah Absolutely. Hey, I want to ask, who is Brad to you? Let's talk about old mate. He's yeah. always by your side. <laughs> who Who is Brad? Pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can't feel that. Hey, I can't feel a pain in the ass. But um, anyway. I was going to get onto your sarcastic <laughs> sense of humour, which I freaking love. For the record. Quite a few times, Lauren has tried to catch me out, and I'm sure she does it to everyone else. Uh, what was it? You were pinning on your number the other day, which kind of goes on your on on your thigh, was it? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And she's pinning it on, and she goes, "Ah!" Like she'd stabbed herself in the leg. And I'm like, <laughs> "I, you've tried this with me before. I know you can't feel it, but I love your sense of humor. It yeah. is, it's amazing." When I was anyway. in the hospital initially, they'd give me a needle in my leg, and I'd be like, "Ah!" And the nurse would be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Do you know just? Off, off tangent again. Um, Frankie's got this little like drill thing, plastic, obviously, it's a toy. And when you push down on it, the drill bit sort of closes in on itself. So it looks like yeah. it's going into your leg. So I did that to myself and I pretended to drill my leg and went, ah, completely freaked her out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, she probably doesn't quite understand that it disappears. But now yeah. she does and she does it to every – I actually posted a video of it the other day. She does it to everyone. She brings it out and then screams as she pushes it into their legs. So um, I also think maybe I've listened to one too many um, true crime podcasts when I was pregnant and it makes me wonder whether she's a psychopath. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who, who, who is Brad? Yeah. Other than a pain in so, the So I met Brad oh, 13 odd years ago when I first started triathlon. I joined um, a triathlon squad and he was in that squad with his son Bryce. Um, and 
he he saw me swim for the first time and um, obviously I I could swim pretty well because um, I was leading the lane. I, I got told to lead the lane and he's like, oh, what, the new girl's leading the lane? Anyway, that's where, how we met. <laughs> is, um, and he saw potential in me um, and he really wanted to help, I guess. Um, so throughout my whole able-bodied triathlon career, he, he helped me and without him I wouldn't have got you know, so far in the sport, he helped me physically, mentally, you know, he helped me get overseas to race. Um, but we developed a really great friendship. Um, and he's like a dad to me. Like I, I didn't grow up with a dad. So he like stepped in like that father figure. Um, but we just clicked straight away and we're, yeah, he's my best friend. He's everything to me. Without him, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have got back to doing the sport that I loved after my accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I And I can say I honestly wouldn't be here. Um, but he, he's everything. He, he makes me laugh. He's someone, he's always there by my side. He's never walked away. You know, I had my accident and he's never walked away. He endured as much as, almost as much as me. He was right beside me when I had my accident and he heard my body go into that guardrail and he was the person standing over me when I was laying on the ground and my body was in the most awkward position, he said. And every single day he's been by my side and, you know, that's what best friends for and he's um the ultimate uh, he's the greatest person is everyone needs a brad fernley in their life and i'm very lucky that he's in my life um without yeah without him giving me advice on everything in in life not just training but um how to get through things He's got so much wisdom and knowledge um, and he was a successful athlete back in his day and he knows um, how to overcome and how to push on and be a successful athlete and that is just he just gives me so much and I'm so thankful that I, I have him as a best friend. So that's yeah that's what Brad is to me. yeah. Now you have to say something obnoxious about him because you've just talked him up heaps and it must be I know weird. I have hey. <laughs> um and you know he most of the time he is that pain in the ass but we get on so well and I'm probably pain, pain in the ass to him but um we we just get on so well I just yeah it's probably not a bad thing I can say about him yeah it's it's very <laughs> obvious you spend five minutes with you two and um he he just he to me, it appears that he knows the right things to say because he knows you so well, um, yeah. but also vice versa. You clearly know him so well and know how to push his buttons and put deliberately yeah. push his buttons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like this best friend slash um, sibling. Like It's like you've known yeah. each other forever is yeah. what I mean by, you know, the sibling side of things. Yeah, um, yeah incredible. So, yeah, he's your your family. Yeah. For sure, he's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk about, because clearly the, with being an elite 
athlete, there's a certain level of stubbornness involved. Would you would you quite comfortably say that you're a stubborn person? Oh, very. And I think Brad had um, <laughs> backed me up there for sure. <laughs> Were yeah. you always like that as a kid? Do you remember being a stubborn kid? I think so. I think I've I've always been like that. Um, I guess, you know, being an athlete, um, I don't know. I was just so so focused and I would never be sidetracked by anyone. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd always feel like I was right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, nah, but, yeah, um, I am stubborn. Uh, and you... And you mentioned, which I wasn't aware of, but you grew up without a dad. Um, so single mum? Well, I I have, I had a dad up until I was 12, but they separated and um, I haven't really seen him much since. Um, he hasn't really wanted to be in my life. So it was um, always my mum there. My mum took me to training every morning at four o'clock in the morning. We'd be up. Did you hear that? That was. I did. That's actually Brad. See, he's being a pain. He knows I'm in a podcast. Um, (laughs) So, mum took me to all sport. Like, I had the best opportunities when it came to sport. I mean, I did so much at a young age. I did swimming, surf life saving, tennis, netball. I tried everything. And I also did like dancing as. you know, a little girl would. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did so much and it's because of her that um, I, I grew up as an athlete without her taking me to training every day and letting me enjoy the things that I love. I guess um, I wouldn't wouldn't be an athlete and I wouldn't have the athlete sort of mindset mm. and the, de- you know, I wouldn't know what it, um, dedication and com- it, it taught me so much. Um, but, through the swimming years and pushing my body to the limits and having um I always love a challenge and uh you know it taught me dedication commitment and you get so much so many life skills from Mm. growing up as an athlete so that's what I'm really thankful for yeah and obviously well first of all it's your father's loss um that he's done in your life second of all I assume there's a lot that you've learned from from seeing your mum um, and and being close to your mum, you know, throughout your te- teenage years, uh, it would have t- taught you a lot about strength. Yeah, for sure. And um, she's worked so hard all her life uh, to give me the best opportunities uh, that I've had. And then obviously um, Brad stepping in as um, a best friend, father figure also uh, gave gave me hope in my future and um, that there are good people in the world that really want to help you. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's about sifting through and finding those people, which unfortunately isn't as easy as what you'd like to think or wish wish it was. Yeah, for sure. Like um, after my accident, I I lost five really good girlfriends um, because I guess – they thought it was too hard, you know, uh, with me being in a chair. And I think that's where you really find out who your friends are is when 
adversity happens um who your friends are and who and who aren't like who are the true friends and um i've since my accident i've formed a few great friendships but brad and i have just um become closer and closer in in friendship and that's what true friendship is is he sums it up like he didn't walk away um you know, it might have been so easy to walk away, but, you know, he's lived it to try and give me the best, you know, opportunities um, in life since my accidents. He's, he's been by my side every day and that's what true friendship is. Yeah. So I really found that out um, after my accident, after losing some great friendships that I've had for most of my life. Mm. It's a shitty way to find out. Um, yeah. yeah, that's for sure. But like you say, the silver lining is uh, honing in on those true relationships, uh, yeah. even though he's a massive friend but a massive pain in the ass. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. It's fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm really aware that uh, we've been going for about an hour um, and I, I hate wrapping this up because – uh, there's so many more things to talk to you about. Um, and unfortunately it has been a lot about the accident. Um, but there's, there's so many things to have, to have learned and to talk about, um, as an offset from the accident. So I hope you don't mind that it's been really focused on that, but I feel like we have learned a lot about you along the way. Um, but before I let you go, I would love to find out, I mean, I know because I was there last week, but I'd love for you to sort of explain to people what what your goals are this year yeah. um, in particular because of the Paralympics. Um, fingers crossed they go ahead. Uh, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, um, what, are, what are your goals? So obviously I've got um, Tokyo in August and the big goal there is – to get the gold medal in the paratriathlon, which I've, I've qualified for the, unofficially qualified for the paratriathlon. Uh, but I'm also, um, like during COVID, I decided, well, why not give myself another challenge? Uh, and that was, I decided to try and qualify for the hand cycling events at Tokyo. So that's what I'm in the process of trying to do. And why I was in Ballarat last week at the, at the cycling nationals, um, and but it's really hard trying to qualify because it's, all the international athletes uh, can't be at the races. So I am unable to race any of the other hand cyclists that I would be racing at Tokyo. So I have to qualify through my data, like my power output, my speed, my times. And Cycling Australia have to um, put that into their system and compare me to the current hand cycling world champion um, to her data and basically for me to qualify I need to beat the current world champions data and that's how I'll be selected for the team I need to uh, be a gold medal potential for me to be selected um, which is super difficult um, <laughs> but I was before last week I was sixth ranked sixth in the world um, now I'm ranked third so I still have a bit to go, but I've got more mm -hmm. trial, my, well, my last chance at the end of March up in Brisbane to, to try and qualify and get that top spot. But, um, yeah, it's a huge challenge. But, yeah, my goal is hopefully 
I'll have three events at Tokyo and three gold medals. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the the big goal is to go back to Kona six weeks after Tokyo, and that is where my passion lies is in Ironman. And well, this I really year wanna... you want to be in Kona. Sorry. This year you want to be, you want to be yeah, racing yeah. Kona. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to do last year when before everything got postponed, but yeah. Obviously, it's still up in the air whether the race will go ahead or not. But if it goes ahead, I'll be racing Kona, and I want to. I, I raced there twice as, as an able-bodied athlete. I want to race there again as a para athlete, and to see what um, I'm capable of. And then I have obviously more goals. I want to get to Paris in 2024 at the Paralympics, and hopefully, keep going to 2028. So I've got, yeah. Some big goals. I want to defend my my world title in paratriathlon again as well. So, yeah, I love it. Just, uh, I want to do triathlon for as long as I can. Yeah, and for as long as my body lets me. Yeah. So, as an audience, what what can we do to help you achieve your goals? Um, yeah, what, what can we do? How can we support? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, that's a hard question I'm not... it's all about hard questions here um do do you appreciate shout outs on on social media we we got a lot of love uh when we posted you know a few photos of yeah, you yeah. Uh, up at the road nats does that help do you read them is it, it does that spur you on yeah for sure I mean I read everything um all the comments that come through on social media they definitely uh keep me motivated and inspire me to keep keep pushing on and keep uh working hard to to reach my goals so for sure um you know I'd love for everyone to follow my journey and um like on social media and I'm so grateful for the support I've already had over the last four years it's been so amazing um to to read all the beautiful comments that come through all the time, like that does keep me motivated and keeps me thinking positive. And yeah, so um, yeah, it definitely helps um, if yeah people follow me and follow my journey on like inst- on my Instagram, Lauren Parker two one two seven is my Instagram. But um, yeah, awesome, For sure, mate, you. You're an inspiration, but I don't mean that in the oh, you're an, you're inspiring. You know the fluffy kind of response. You know, you, yeah. you know what I'm saying. Um, you're inspiring because you're you're real. Um, you've been extremely vulnerable in this chat, um, and I think to me the most inspiring thing is that by you being so vulnerable and open it will help other people Uh, no matter what. Like you say, you're not here to inspire just um, kids um, with disabilities. It's it's anyone who can take anything from your story, um, be it a small piece of inspiration or or a big piece of inspiration. Um, That that in itself can help change other people's lives. So that for me is why you're inspiring Um, and – yeah, I ca- I cannot thank you enough for your for your honesty and and vulnerability. Yeah, thank you, and I've um thanks so much for having me 
uh, on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, it's, um, I'm super uh, appreciative and yeah, I've really enjoyed sharing my story and a, you know, a little, a little part of my story. Um, yeah. So thank you. We'll yeah, get and back. I'm really we'll glad that I can, yeah, inspire people and um, help motivate people, I guess, in their own lives. You're a legend. Uh, thank you. And we will obviously be following you over the coming weeks and months to see how the uh, the qualification process goes for the Paralympics. But regardless of what happens in the cycling, um, unofficially, we will see you uh, at Tokyo for the para triathlon. You will, for sure. <laughs> Fingers crossed awesome. it goes ahead. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks, mate. Um, you better get back to Brad um, uh-huh. and answer all of his questions that I'm sure yeah. he's got for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we will catch up with you again hopefully soon. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a WhatsApp Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-deep in awesomeness. <laughs> Woo!